Well, good morning. Like we, uh, like Brett said, uh, I got a call last night that um, Michael was quote unquote under the weather. Conveniently, also happens to be decision day in European soccer, which is where you find out if your team makes some sort of weird soccer playoff that I don't understand. Uh, so, is there a, is there a coincidence there? I don't I don't know, but. Uh, I hope he's feeling well. He's probably watching this, so just be careful what I say. Um, he should be. He should be watching. If he's not, then... Anyway, all right. Uh, we're going to take a quick moment, and I just I want you to do something for me. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the final discipline today, which is the discipline of celebration. Um, and, uh, yeah, what I wanted to do really quick was just give us some time to kind of reflect uh, in whatever sense that means like for you, but... What I want to encourage us to do is to take a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to think of a moment in your life, in the past week, in the past few months, where you truly felt happy. Uh, Maybe it's a simple moment this past week where you looked out in your backyard and your kids laughing and playing. Maybe this week someone thanked you for working so hard on a project for work or around the house. Maybe you completed an accomplishment that you had been working towards. Maybe it was a vacation years ago to a wonderful tropical oasis or an otherwise enjoyable location uh, that caused you to be happy. Or maybe recently you were able to spend time with a friend or a loved one that you hadn't seen in a while. Whatever it may be, I want you just to take a moment, close your eyes, And sit in that moment. And I want you to remember the details. What you saw. The sounds you heard. The smells that you smell. The warmth it gave and that intense feeling of just contentment. That if this is where life ends, you're okay with that. Okay, open your eyes. I didn't look, so I don't know if anybody actually did this, so that's fine. Um, emotions are powerful things. And what I want to start off by saying is, before we get too far down the line, I want us to understand something about who we are as people, as human beings. We are made in God's image. Fundamentally, we are this reflection in, to, some expect, to, to, some, to some aspect of who God is. And so... Sometimes in our, in our world, we don't think about emotions as having value. In fact, a lot of times we try to move away from emotions. We have an unpleasant feeling or an emotion. So as a result, we try to leave that behind and move on towards something else. And in order to do that, we have to kind of go, okay, what do I need to do to escape? What do I need to do to get away? Um, what I want you to understand is that emotions are a part of your human identity as, as fundamental image bearers of God. So listen, it's okay to have emotion. Jesus had emotion. He wasn't a robot. God has emotion. And we're made in that image. So when you feel that happiness, when you feel that moment of contentment and peace because of somewhere you traveled or someplace you were or just something that filled you up with warm feelings, that's okay. You guys know that as a believer, it's like okay to be happy. You know what I mean? You don't have to be like, okay, everything's going right now, but pretty soon God's going to do something to punish me because he really wants to build my character. So I can't be too happy. So I just want to like, you know, stay really content. Uh, 
But it's okay to be happy. In fact, I fundamentally believe that Christians, followers of Jesus, should be the most joyful people you ever come in contact with. If you meet a bummed out Christian, a bummed out follower of Jesus, you're just not selling it very well, all right? Oh, yeah, come to church, it's like, takes two hours, and it's this whole thing, and this guy gets up and he talks, and we never really know what he's trying to say, but he's funny, so we're kind of like, all right, but yeah, just come, you know, be a part of it. We actually want to encourage people to, to like, partake in this community, so the invitation is not just to a church, it's not just to a club, it's not just to a culture, it's to an identity, and one of the markers of that identity is joy. Um, and so we've been walking through the spiritual disciplines, and we've been talking about um, the four or three aspects of, of the disciplines, the inward prayer, fasting, study, meditation, outward submission, service, solitude, simplicity, and now the final, the sixth, twelfth, whoops, twelfth, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. So good news and bad news to everybody. The good news is it's the final discipline. The bad news is it's the final discipline. I don't know. Uh, we do that one more time, except this time when I say it's the final discipline, you guys all go, oh, and then we'll cut it when we do the podcast for it. So, <laughs> Bad news is, it's the final discipline. Oh. I know, I know, I know. It's so sad. Um, and I don't know where you ended up with the disciplines. I thought about showing Bartolo Colon hitting a home run again just so we can have that perspective of like joyful exuberance. Um, but I want us to understand that, that like, wherever where you're at, as a leadership team, we just want to thank you. Uh, we know it's, it's kind of an, an odd, it isn't something that every church does, to go through spiritual disciplines and follow a book and kind of track with that. And so if you've taken the time to, in your life, practice the disciplines and try it out, good for you. Good for you. Like, it's, it's totally up to you the extent to which you want to travel into the disciplines. Um, and hopefully, somewhere in doing it, you found joy in doing them. Hopefully, you're not like, ugh, these disciplines. And you're just kind of like, I do whatever my church tells me, so I'll just kind of like do the disciplines, but I'm not really enjoying it. I don't really like it. I don't want to serve. That's a whole thing that I can't unpack right now, but hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully you're finding victory. There's nothing like taking on a challenge that's totally contrary to what the world is doing and then like seeing the success from it and going, wow, like this has been really great. Um, And so I hope it's been good for you. And so we just want you to know that we love you and we thank you. And we don't want the disciplines to be like these things that we do out of um, just kind of like mindless observation. We hope that it's intentional. Um, We hope that it's rewarding for you. And we hope that it's been good. We hope that you've learned a lot by doing it. Um, Because I know I have personally in taking it on. And and I hope that as we go on through the different sermon series we embrace in the next few years, we can reference back to these disciplines as as application for sermons and practices. So, okay, the final discipline. Here's what we're going to do today. One, we're going to define celebration and what the discipline of celebration is, and we're going to see different quotes from Dallas Willard and from Richard Foster. Uh, We're going to talk about why we need celebration, like how is celebration, why is it necessary? And then three, what do we celebrate? When we talk about celebrating and rejoicing, what does that mean, and what do we do with that? And then finally, how do we celebrate? And I'm like so excited for that because I like have no idea what to tell you, so we'll just see what happens when we get there. Part one, here we go. Celebration as a discipline of celebration. Here's what the word celebration means. Uh, the action of making one's, marking one's pleasure at an important event or occasion by engaging in enjoyable, a typically social activity. Um, that's from the actual dictionary. So as a discipline, Dallas Willard says this about um, celebration. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith, 
and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. Okay? For a long time, people have viewed, like when we talked about the world, we categorized it as purely an evil thing. And to an extent, the world is like a moniker for evil. Okay? But God created the world. So in and of itself, the created purpose of the world is not an evil thing. That means you can enjoy things in the world. Okay? You can go on a hike, you can experience beauty, you can hang out with people, you can have a great meal with friends, and you can celebrate that, and there's no judgment there. Okay? So remember that this part, part of celebrating is looking at the world and what's going well and, and appreciating that and rejoicing in that. Uh, I think it's odd to engage with celebration as a discipline as if to say you have to intentionally do it. Um, it feels like something that should just naturally happen. Like it should be something we got to go, okay, i got to figure out how to celebrate. And at the end, we'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to talk about celebration. If humility, if service is a discipline that leads us on a path to humility, then celebration assists us on our path to joy. Okay? And joy equals rejoice, which equals celebration. Does that make sense? From a, from a biblical definition of the word joy, we see the word joy as a noun and a verb to have joy, and to do joy, as taken into the word rejoice, and then that word is kind of, over time, evolves in this word of celebration. So when you see the word rejoice in scripture, it really means celebrate. Okay, so it's a part of our identity and commands from God. Now, Foster defines uh, discipline, the celebration, as this. Uh, the decision to set the mind on higher things of life. It is an act of will. This is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls onto our heads. It's the result of consciously chosen way of thinking and living. How many of us, including myself, have done this where you just go through your routine of following Jesus and you're just like sitting there waiting and like, okay, God's going to drop joy on me any moment now. Reading my Bible, I'm going to church. I'm just waiting for like a giant water balloon of joy to just drop on my head. Oh, there it is. Joy. I found it. So great. Um, And I think that does happen like to an extent. There's moments of just kind of like, for some reason, you just have joy and and it's great. But celebration and rejoicing means we have to consciously set our minds on things that we're supposed to rejoice in, things that are good. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as a discipline, we're saying, practice thinking about things that are worthy of rejoicing. Worthy of celebrating. Um, And so with that, let's talk about why we need to celebrate. Why on earth, no pun intended, do we need to celebrate? Okay? One, joy is a central central teaching of Jesus. Um, It's a central part of who he is. But do we need to? Do we need to stop and practice like we practice fasting and prayer and generosity? In short, yes. One of the most compelling reasons to celebrate is the fact that the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at work to deprive you of finding true enjoyment. All the while, they're manipulating us to tell us that we can only find joy in certain things. New cars, cosmetic surgery, substances, and more information. If I know more, I'll be happier. If I have more, I'll be happier. If I eat, drink, and indulge my senses more, I'll be happier. Or if we can just get back to the way things used to be, I'll be happier. And those are lies. 
Those are lies. Those are, dis- those are false joys that lead us instead of to contentment and celebration, they lead us instead to false joy, disillusionment, and unhealth. So, why do we need to celebrate? I got like eight reasons, and I'm going to try to do them really fast. The first two are pretty long, but the rest of them go pretty quick. Number one, we live in a society that elevates negativity. Okay? In fact, our media is designed, meaning like electronic, that world, is designed to feed the part of our being, our carnal, fleshly, reptilian brain. It is estimated now that 90% of all news is negative or is phrased negatively. One website, this is crazy, that posted only positive stories for a day lost 66% of its readers in one day. Headlines with bad news are proven to catch 30% more of our attention. People are 49% more likely to read something negative than positive. This means, in a nutshell, we could argue right now that our society is desiring negativity and visceral reactions more than positive information. We, in fact, are rejoicing in evil while Jesus in the Bible tells us to cling to what is good. And the issue with negativity is that it's a manipulation of our God-given qualities. We're designed to an extent to take in information to protect us, but when we're talking about negative information, animosity, anger, arguments, hatred, manipulation, we find ourselves constantly in a place of fight or flight resulting in chronic worry, anxiety, and stress and neurosis. You've gone to a website before. You've scrolled to the bottom. You've seen the clickbait. And don't act like you haven't. We know you have, okay? And you want to know, like, what did actually happen to Kirsten Dunst and why is she working at McDonald's now? <laughs> and you're like, she was in Spider-Man. Like, what happened? Like... And, uh, or you want to see, like, you know, the sad story about Sylvester Stallone. You'll never guess what happened to him. And you're like, you're right, I never will. So I have to click on this story because I love me a good celebrity downfall. All right? Makes me feel so much better about myself. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've been there. This has been manipulated trust in social media. The social media and negative things, they get more of our likes and more of our attention than the computer figures out, hey, this person seems to dwell on these negative things a lot. Let's send them more negative stuff. You ever wonder why you keep seeing negative stuff on your Facebook feed? It's because Facebook knows you like it. Like, huh, Keith Slavik's everything's so negative. Yeah, it's, it's your fault. Um, no, it's true. It's like about part of it. It really buys us into it. This is why when we watch like reality TV, and I use that term extremely loosely because it's like only reality because the camera is like shaky. That's the only thing that's like reality about it. the rest of it is just like warped, like weird people getting together. And like these people are a mess. Like what in the world is happening here? Um, and we like it. We like conflict, like twenty-four hour news, and they. It's like, oh, we have an issue. We brought in these two experts, and they, we're just going to let them argue for like 20 minutes. And at the end, they'll just go, thank you for your time. No resolution, no common ground, just arguing back and forth, two talking heads on a screen. And then it's like, okay, well, thank you so much. We'll, you know, we'll bring you back later when we need more arguments. Um, and that's interesting. That It really buys us in. But they figured out that that's because um, negative emotions in human beings, like our brains are desired to take in, or they're designed to take in negativity as protection. So, you know, something happens and it warns you about it, and so you go to a fight or flight response, and that's okay, that's natural. So you go in that place of protection and preservation. Totally normal, totally fair. 
However, if you stay there and you never leave it, then you result in chronic anxiety, worry, and fear. And so you have to keep going back to that. So that like manipulation that happens to us, the world elevates that negativity. Next, here's a good one. Wealth and joy don't correlate. You guys know, we all know that as believers, obviously, that wealth and joy are not, like, there's no joy in wealth. But scientifically and, and, like, sociologically, it's proven, like, there's no really benefit to more money. And then you can, like, buy more stuff, but that's only so fragile. So in 2017, an article in CNBC highlighted the fact that abundant wealth does not necessarily correlate to greater contentment and happiness with life. In fact, the article cited a 2010 Princeton University study that, that at about 75,000 you have achieved $75,000 a year, you have achieved the optimal amount of happiness solely based upon your income. I mean, if you make any more than that, they really didn't see that it was, any people are any more happier that made more than that, okay? Below that, yeah, there was a correlation. I mean, when you're living like hand to mouth, you don't have the funds to, to cover your basic needs, that's going to affect your happiness. But at 75000 so that's kind of the magic number. That's where we see that that makes the greatest impact on somebody's happiness financially from a financial standpoint. Um... The same article quotes a guy you may know. His name is Warren Buffet. Um, I think he invented, that's how he got rich. He invented the buffet. He was like a, he opened Sizzler. Who was at the time of the article writing the third wealthiest person in the world at $78.4 billion in net worth. He states that he could in fact live on much less and be, quote unquote, in his own words, content. He says, I'm already happy. I would be happy with you know, certainly $100,000 a year. Yeah, Warren, we would all be happy with $100,000 a year. Um, he said, I could be very happy and live off that. It's, that's funny when you can be like, yeah, I guess if I had like $100,000 a year, I'd be fine. He goes on to say, I can buy basically anything. And famously, he lives in the same house he bought in 1958. And he says regarding this, if I could spend $100 million on a house that was guaranteed to make me happier, I would do it. But for me... That's the happiest house in the world. And it is because it has memories and people come back to it. That sort of thing. Isn't that crazy? It's like, yeah, if you could tell me that buying a $100 million house is for sure going to make me happier, I would do it. But I like my house because of the memories and the things that go with it. So there's no correlation between those two things. Wealth does not mean having more and having more money does not mean you have more joy. In fact, they found that as the world has gotten wealthier, Younger people have gotten sadder. So how can that be the case? Well, it's almost like money is not meant to give us contentment. It's almost like status is not supposed to be our end-all, be-all. But positive memories, moments, and joy with people you love, that creates joy. Three, celebration helps us not take ourselves too seriously. Ah, Foster just really just... Cuts to the corners and he says, it's an occupational hazard of devout people to be stuffy bores. This should not be. Of all people, we should be the most free, alive, and interesting. It is healing and refreshing to cultivate a wide appreciation for life. Our spirit can come with weary, with straining after God, just as our body can become weary with overwork. Celebration helps us relax and enjoy the good things of earth. You need to laugh at yourself. Okay? And as a middle school teacher, the first thing they tell you is don't take yourself too seriously. And you say it in every single interview. They go, what's your, what's your key to being a middle school? I just don't take myself too seriously. All right? Um, and that's important because you have to laugh at yourself. You have to recognize when you do something dumb. 
and funny and not get super like bent out of shape when that happens. Being able to take yourself too seriously is kind of an occupational hazard of following Jesus, just straining after God so much that you're like, I just got to keep serving. I just got to keep reading. I just got to keep doing this because it's so good. And it's like, what you need to do is actually stop, celebrate, move forward. Another great quote from Foster, number four, celebration helps prevent spiritual matters like the disciplines from becoming, in his own words, he wrote the book about disciplines, soul-killing legalism. That's an intense word. Um, Here's the deal. Just like anything else, when you're asked to do something and you do it just as a a robot, like with no no desire behind it, with no joy in it, it's just soul-crushing. All right? Celebration is a central part of all the disciplines, Foster says. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Every discipline should be characterized by carefree, carefree gaiety and a sense of thanksgiving. It's weird, as I started, as I did more fasting on Mondays, like for the first like, few times I did it, it was really arduous. It was like, okay, Monday's coming around. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat anything for 24 hours. And it's kind of like, okay, it's trying to get through it. But the crazy thing is, as I've done it, I start to look forward to it. I'm like, oh, Monday's fast day. Like, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours. I'm just going to kind of like be in God's presence throughout the day with my middle schoolers and do it. I'm like, this is really cool. I'm really going to enjoy this. Um, and so it's weird because it doesn't feel like that would match, but it does, and it keeps you wanting to go back to it. Uh, and this one from a sociologist says, joy moves us from prioritizing ourselves to prioritizing the community. And George, uh, I think his name is Valiant. I can't remember how to say his name, but he's a sociological researcher from Harvard. Um, he says, human evolution, or he says mammalian evolution, has hardwired the brain. Listen, this is a secular guy. This guy does not follow Jesus. This is what he says about the brain. He says, has hardwired the brain for spiritual experience. Spiritual experience means your brain is actually hardwired for a spiritual experience. And the most dramatic spiritual experience is joy. From a scientific, sociological perspective, the greatest spiritual experience that human beings can achieve is joy. And negative emotions, negative emotions are developed in lower animals than humans. But in humans, as in all mammals, there's this limbic system that contains all of these different positive emotions and spirituality. Valiant says that negative emotions help us to survive individually. Protection. They help us to take care of ourselves and our family and our loved ones. But positive emotions help the community to survive. Joy, unlike happiness, is not all about me. Joy is connection. Dallas Ward says, Celebration means that we come together with others who know God to eat and drink and sing and dance and relate stories about God's actions of our lives and our people. And don't forget about this. We worship a God whose first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding. If you're like, if you don't think that Jesus celebrated, he turned water into wine at a wedding. That's all I need to say, all right? It's a part of who he was. He was fun to be around. Obviously, people liked being around him, okay? Six, Joy is good for our health. There's, there's many studies that talk about this, but there's a connection between our parasympathetic nervous system and our body and our body's desire for rest. I mean, the more joy we experience, the more deeply we rest. And rest is huge for our health. Um, and science and health have confirmed this in rapid fire, the last two reasons. Seven, celebration gives us strength to live all of their disciplines. Okay, it says, hey, listen, like, joy is the engine that drives the discipline. 
And that's a huge part of who we are, but joy also helps us look back and celebrate. Or celebration helps us look back and see what we've done and accomplished. Like service, I said this before, like service, the discipline of service, assisting us on our path to humility, celebration is the trellis, the tool that leads us to joy. So in order to really experience joy, we have to celebrate. So the question would be, what do we celebrate? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. Well, good news. It's in the Bible. First Philippians 4.4. 4. Here we go. He says this, Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So, rejoice, rejoice, celebrate. So Paul is saying, celebrate in the Lord always. And again, I will say, celebrate. Enjoy your time with people. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Have that contentment, that peace in who God is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he says this, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Literally says, meditate on these things. In a world that elevates negativity and truth, and by proxy, we end up meditating on these negative things all day long. Have you ever read a news article and just been stewing on it for hours? You're just like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that's happening. You're meditating on that information. When Paul would say, listen, we've got to set our minds on different things. We've got to meditate on different things. And I like what he says at the end. He says, he gives this whole list, and he's like, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. All of a he's saying, and like anything else that's like good and like that you enjoy, just celebrate that, okay? Like loosen up a little bit. Enjoy walking with Jesus, True means it's not concealing. It's not false. Honorable means it's dignified. It has this sense of it it attracts by its goodness. Just is this idea of obedience, and it's conformable to who God is. And you can't really know what's just unless you know what God believes is just, what he, he knows is just, right? Pure, it's innocent, it's blameless. I think of little ones and kids. Like they can just not really do anything wrong until they turn four, and then you're like, ah, or they're in middle school, and then there's more of that. Um, lovely, dear to you, close to you, well-spoken of, commendable, praiseworthy, excellence. It's, in virtu- it's virtuous. The Stoics would have believed in that, this idea of virtue, like helping people the highest moral character. You could rejoice in that, seeing that, and observing that, and partaking in that. Foster says, God has established a created order full of excellent and good things. And it follows naturally that as we give our attention to those things, we will be happy. That is God's appointed way to joy. If we fill our lives with simple good things and constantly thank God for them, we will be joyful. That means full of joy. Just set our mind on that stuff. We meditate on those things. 
So the end result of that is an exuberance, a joy that goes from your feet to the top of your head that you just can't help but exude this. And I, and I think there's, I, to tell you how to celebrate it, I don't know if I could t- truly tell you how to, because it's kind of up to you. What brings joy to your life? Me and my wife are a little bit different. This is going to sound really weird when I say this, but my, my wife loves being around her family. And for her, just being with her, her, her parents and her grandmothers and her cousins is so life-giving to her. I didn't grow up with a very like, connected, like, extended family, so that's not really a place where I find a lot of joy. But she does. So for her, you want to ask her what's going to bring joy to your life? A walk outside, a run by herself, um, going to Fred Meyer without the kids, uh, going and being with her family. That, to her, brings her joy. To me, being able to go for a run, to run around, to go and grab a beer with one of my friends, my close friends, and joke around and smile, that brings me joy. And that's okay. Some of the times, from week to week, we'll get a bunch of the guys together and we'll go down to Initiative, the brewery down the street that used to be a bank, and we um, get beers and we play trivia. And we don't win very often. We have won a couple times. Okay, no big deal. Um, But... It's, it's half about defeating a bunch of nerds at trivia. That's part of it. Just kidding. That's part of it, okay? But it's also just being together with guys. We all have kids. We all get like one night to go out and hang out and, and be, be around each other. And it is so life-giving that when you come home, you're like, oh, that was just great. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's, we didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. We just hung out. And that's so valuable, and what I want to do really quick is just kind of pivot for a second and talk about the idea of suffering, and then we'll kind of wrap up. A lot of, I think, really well-meaning, loving people will come to people who are in crisis or going through a really tough season and try to convince them to celebrate. Because they like, are like, you know, well, you're a Christian, so no matter what's going on, you're supposed to be really happy. That's the point. And, and I want to step back and just kind of take a picture of that for a second. Yeah, we can rejoice in any season that we're in. We can find joy by meditating on things about God, and that is true. We can do that. But that doesn't mean that we don't go through hard times. It doesn't mean we don't suffer. And it doesn't mean that when you're suffering, you just go, man, I can't wait to see like, what my character is going to be like at the end of this thing. Like, I'm just so excited. Like, oh, great, my family member is sick and in peril and ill, and I can't wait to see how this helps me grow closer with God. I think that that's weird, to be honest. And I think it's kind of contrary to what Jesus would ask us to do. Because he asks us to be like, in the moment, yeah, it's hard. You know, you, you cry for two reasons, grief or joy. That's, or if you like hit your shin on a table also. But, like, <laughs> but, but also, like, if, you, if you experience those intense emotions, grief and joy are really intense emotions, it can cause you to like, be joyful. When I, when I proposed to my wife, I cried. It wasn't out of grief. It was out of joy. Okay? And we've all been there. We've all, when, when, we, when you see like a husband and they're getting married and the, and the wife like walks down the aisle and the, and the husband just starts crying, it's like, oh, that's, like, that's so endearing. He's not upset. Okay? He's very happy. Um, and then we also can see the moments where we lose loved ones and tears just kind of naturally come out of us. Okay? So grief and joy are, are intense emotions, but... I wanted to read this. It's from Foster where he talks about this idea of, of suffering. And there's a lot here theologically. So if you have more questions, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about it. 
Um, but here's what he says. A popular teaching today instructs us to praise God for the various difficulties that come into our lives, asserting that there is great transforming power in thus praising God. In its best form, such teaching is a way of encouraging us to look up the road a bit through the eye of faith and see what we will be. It affirms our hearts, it affirms in our hearts the joyful assurance that God takes all things and works them for good for those who love him. But in its worst form, this teaching denies the vileness of evil and baptizes the most horrible tragedies as the will of God. Scripture commands us to live in a spirit of thanksgiving in the midst of all situations. It does not command us to celebrate the presence of evil. Okay? When we face a difficult trial, when someone gets sick, when someone's dying, when we lose a job, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to cry. It's okay to look at a a shooting or a killing and go, that is not okay. And it grieves me. All right? Because it's evil. And God doesn't have a part in evil. Evil is not a part of God. And so as we look to God and we look to Jesus, yeah, at its best, it helps us go, okay, like this this trial is going to pass. We're going to get through this. We can see that. But at its worst, it baptizes evil as good. And that's not how we're going to operate as as followers of Jesus. Willard says this, the world is radically unsuited to the heart of the human person. And the suffering and terror of life will not be removed, no matter how spiritual we become. It is because of this that a healthy faith before God cannot be built and maintained without heartfelt celebration of his greatness and goodness to us in the midst of suffering and terror. So you can still meditate on things that are good while you're going through a hard season, but it doesn't mean that you should ever go to somebody who's going through a difficult time and just kind of be like, listen, you're going to understand Jesus so much more at the end of this. Yeah, that's totally, that may be true, but right now, it sucks. And it's okay to recognize that. Deal with it and move through it together. So, that's a lot. You guys still with me? Can I have like five minutes, which means really like 15 minutes? Just kidding, I won't do it 15 minutes. It'll be really quick, okay? Because now we're going to talk about the great thing, which is how do we celebrate, you know? Uh, the great uh, mid-20th uh, century philosopher, Kulinth the Gang, said uh, this. He said, celebrate good times. Come on. Okay? Uh, I worked on that joke a lot while I was practicing. I think I, I think I nailed it. I think I nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it's true, right? Celebrate things that are going good. Spend time with your family. It's different for everybody. And I just wanted to, that's why I can't like, tell you like, what to do, right? Because it's like, it's up to you. What do you find joy in? Yeah, meditate on the things of God. But also, have fun. Do things that you enjoy doing. Find things that, you are, that, that give you life, that give you fervor, that give you fuel to continue to pursue Jesus. And do those things a lot. Okay? So, here's some ideas. Okay? Do with it what you will. Sing, laugh, and dance. Eat, pray, love. Just kidding. Sing, laugh, and dance. Okay? It's difficult to really recommend because of each of us is different, but... I want you guys to spend time this week reflecting. If you have a journal, write down things you're grateful for. Write down victories that the Lord has strengthened you in. And invite people over for dinner. Open a bottle of wine. If like, you're really good friends with them, get a really good bottle of wine. <laughs> if you're kind of like, I don't know how this is going to go, then get one with a screw top. It's fine. <laughs> okay? 
They obviously won't know the difference. Or they might if they're really, like, insufferable. Um, Choose to not watch the news for a few days. Just turn off the news. Put your phone in another room and don't touch it until after you've spent time talking and being with the Lord. Silence or delete those news apps. Let me just... News apps, which means Facebook. Get rid of it. Okay? Delete those news apps that are really just social media accounts that are monetizing your propensity towards negativity. Choose not to partake in gossip in the workplace. Instead, compliment your coworkers that give you joy. There's a lady at our school who every day she prays and then she finds some like token to give to certain teachers. She says, this, put this teacher on my heart and I'm going to go and give them this gift. And the other day she brought me just like a pencil with my name like carved into it and I was like, thank you. And I was like, but the fact that you did it, I'm like, awesome. Like, I would have loved the the cinnamon rolls you usually make, but this pencil is cool. Uh, And so I was like, this is, okay. But the fact that she took time to do that, I'm like, okay, like, yes, thank you for doing that. Like, just the action of that intentionality behind is so valuable. Watch a baseball game with your kids. Go on a date with your spouse. Have the grandparents take the kids, or maybe somebody from the church it's really just a glutton for punishment. We'll take your kids on for a few days, or not for a few days, sorry, no, sorry, a few hours. Okay? Unless somebody would do that, because in which case, my wife and I will, uh, let me know. Um, and they'll take, for like a few hours, and you can go down the Odem Meadow and the theater and, and grab a burger and watch the new uh, Marvel movie and, and enjoy that time together. Eat a good meal. Take a nap. Go on a hike. Pop a bunch of popcorn and do a family movie night where you watch Cars 3 for the 50th time. (laughs) Snuggle with your kiddos before you put them to bed. Every night before I put Ollie to bed, he demands something called love yous, where he cuddles with me in my chair. I'm like, this is awesome. And you're also quite large, so it's getting more and more difficult every time. But um, that moment, I'm like, this is what I'm going to look, I'm going to miss this. When he's big and a teenager, and he's like this tall, and I'm like, I can't cuddle with you anymore, man. Um, enjoy that moment. Peek in the bedroom while they're sleeping and thank Jesus for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If you're going through a tough season but someone else is going through a great season, be happy for them. You don't have, they don't have to be miserable because you're miserable. Okay? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's a whole thing. Uh, God has given us excellent things to embrace and take part in. Eat and drink to the glory of God. Don't indulge it. Obviously, I'm not saying go and like, if you if like, you're going to go hang out with friends, like, you don't need to go and get just sideways because you're rejoicing in God, okay? I'm not asking for that. I'm not endorsing that. But I'm saying it's okay to go out and grab a beer with your friends and joke around and have a good time. That's part of the kingdom of God. That's like what we're going to be doing for eternity is rejoicing and being happy with our friends and family. So if the kingdom of God is God's kingdom coming to earth, then it would make sense that we go out and hang out with friends that love Jesus. We can have fun. And I love one last thing. How many of you have read screw tape letters or have know about screw tape letters? Okay. Good. Then this will make, make sense, sort of. Just back you up on what screw tape letters was. It was a, a book by C.S. Lewis. It's a, it's a fictional book, and it's a correspondence between uh, a demon and his nephew, who he's kind of training to become a demon. And the whole point is like, his narrative is basically how can I, this, this uh, younger demon, Wormwood, is trying to, to take some, a, a guy and pull him away from Jesus. And so it kind of highlights like the subversive ways 
that demons and, and the devil tries to convince us to not follow Jesus in really subtle ways. It's not the big things. It's more of the subtle ways. And in this book, Screwtape is reaming his nephew because he let the guy that he's supposed to be tormenting take a walk and read a book that he enjoyed. So you can't let him do that. He says this. This is what, this is what Screwtape says to him. He says, the man who truly and disinterestedly enjoys one thing in the world for its own sake and without caring two pence other people say about it is by the very fact forearmed against some of our subtlest modes of attack. So you let him enjoy his life, that's not good for us. You should always try to make the patient, which is the person he's trying to torment, abandon the people or food or books he really likes in favor of the best people the right food, and the important books. So the idea that one of the ways the enemy tries to rob us of joy is try to take those things you really appreciate and love about life and warp them. Don't let him enjoy things. Don't let him enjoy reading his book. I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't read like really heavy theological books for fun. I'm reading a book about the 100 greatest baseball players of all time right now, and it's amazing, okay? And I enjoy that. And that's part of that conversation. When you find stuff that you enjoy, just enjoy it. Don't think about, oh, I could be hanging out with this more awesome person or reading this better, you know, better book or having this better meal. Instead, celebration allows us to be in the moment in a good way. Not living for selfishness and for pleasure, but actually living for God's kingdom and celebrating that. So I want to wrap up. I just want to read that passage in Philippians one more time, and then we'll sing. Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's my encouragement for you this week. Spend time meditating on things that are worth meditating on and celebrate with the people you love. Have somebody over for dinner, party, hang out. Let the kids that are in that room, they get, you're gonna get kids over for, like, for dinner and then it's like they're all, they're all in like one room together like all the kids are. Like it's a really small room. You just hear stuff like fly in and break in. You're just like... <laughs> like if nobody's crying, then we're okay. All right? And just enjoy being together. That is a glimmer and a reflection of the kingdom of God. And I hope and I pray that you can do that. Then this week when you're working through your disciplines, find joy in doing those things. Let that joy and celebration fuel you to continue to pursue that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, our time together. Thank you for um, your goodness in our life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for giving us things like celebration that we can rejoice in and exist in. It's a part of who you are. Thank you for showing us what it means to celebrate. Bless us with the knowledge of your truth this week. May we reflect and look back on the goodness of who you are. And may it fill us with a great, deep joy. In Jesus' name, amen.